Hello everyone, this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes, how do they go about exploring it further. On today's show, we have two guests who have taken a slightly different path than what many of us might call a more conventional career path. Their names are Wendy Allen and Yorick Lubinsky. And in a lot of ways, they started out in a situation similar to many of us. Both of them grew up with the idea that at some point in time, you need to get some sort of an education, some sort of degree, and then you pursue careers related to those degrees. And that's how life goes. And so Wendy, she grew up in Australia. She developed an interest in biomedical research. So she went to University of Melbourne to pursue this. And Yurik, on the other hand, developed an interest in robotics. And he grew up in Poland and went to the Wrocław University of Technology to study robotics. But at some point in time, the two of them started to wonder if this is really what they wanted to do for the rest of their lives. And I'm going to let the two of them really share their story. But the gist is that they eventually decided to quit and they decided to go on a 14 months long journey completely by land and by water from Australia to Poland. And of course, this was quite a journey. They had a number of experiences and this journey changed them in a number of ways. And a very interesting byproduct of this journey was that they started a blog called Drop the Tension. You can check it out at dropthetension.com. And the blog started out as more of a diary, chronicling their journey and their experiences. But eventually, it started to generate interest from others who wanted to learn more about what they were doing, potentially do something similar on their own. And uh, now that the two of them are back, they want to continue working on that blog to spread their message and find it a lot more interesting and exciting than some of the things that they were working on before they started traveling. And in fact, they've started doing other things like teaching, which now they really enjoy a lot more. So I hope that their experiences and their journey is something which will be helpful for our listeners who might be in a similar sort of situation where you're not really sure if what you're doing is really what you want to be doing. And maybe this inspires you to take a step back, potentially try something else, try something new. So anyway, let's get into the discussion. But before we do that, I want to play an audio by a vlogger by the name of Jay Shetty. He is a Huffington Post featured motivational and lifestyle vlogger. And this audio is three minutes long, so it's a little bit long, but I think it really captures the essence of the message which Yorick and Wendy want to share with us. So I hope you enjoy it. And then let's get into the discussion with Wendy and Yorick. Once a primary school teacher set an assignment to a group of students. She asked them what they wanted to be when they grew up. And some wrote down astronaut, others wrote down actor, some wrote down singer and the others wrote down scientist. And when she was marking through these papers, she noticed that one of the boys wrote down the word happy. She went up to him and she said, John, 
I think you misunderstood the assignment. And he said, Miss, I think you misunderstood life. Somewhere along the line, our definition of success became blurred. It became about money. And it's funny how the desire for power and wealth increased the speed at which we believe we need to work so that we can supersede our peers in the rat race, moving at a pace that no Fitbit or no wearable can truly monitor or analyze the stress and the intensity. Since we've been young, we've all been exposed to definitions of happiness. The scientists and the mathematicians have algorithms and formulas that they believe adds up to the equation of happiness. We have the corporate professionals who have the corporate hierarchy of actually promotion and career progression to measure their success. We need to define what success means for us. We need to redefine what success means. Let's not make happiness and success about the size of our homes, but about the size of our heart. Let's not make it about gratification, but gratitude. We speak about being healthy and our well-being, but we act more like human doings than we do like human beings. And therefore, instead of to-do lists, we need to-be lists. Instead of thinking about what you want to do, think about who you want to be. Do you want to be more self-aware? Do you want to be more conscious? Do you want to be a better person? Do you want to be a difference in the world? We need to move away from what we want to do in situations to who we want to be in situations. The three most common things that we forget when we're rushing out of our homes is our keys, our wallet or our mobile phone. And it's absolutely hilarious how you run back inside, you look in all your drawers, you look in your desk, you make a mess sometimes. And then how many times have you had it that you realize it was actually in your back pocket, sometimes even in your hand? And it's funny that our experience of happiness is so similar to this. We run around trying to find it in absolutely every place. But actually, when we come back home, we find out that it's within. When I was in my teens, I heard a fascinating quote from Jim Carrey. And he said, everyone should become rich and famous and do everything they dreamed of just to see that it's not the answer. And what did he mean by that? He meant that actually what we're searching for is not out there, but it's inside. And therefore, happiness is actually an inside job. Hey, Wendy and Yurik, how are you? Thank you for joining us. Hi, Sonali. Thank you for having us. Yeah, hey, no, no worries. Absolutely. And your story is so inspiring. I don't know if you, if I shared this with you guys, but sometime when I was in high school, I had sort of decided that I wanted to take a year off before I turned 30 to backpack around the world. But unfortunately, it never happened. So it's kind of nice to talk to two people who actually did something like this. It sounds very, very cool. Thanks. Yeah. So why don't we start out with just the two of you telling us a little bit about yourselves? Sure. Maybe I'll start. Um, so yeah, I'm from Australia. I grew up in a small town in Australia. I always felt like a bit of a big fish in a small pond. Mm -hmm. I was usually top of my class and this led to me being encouraged to pick a lot of maths and science subjects because at my school that sort of seemed to be if you were smart, these were the kind of things you should choose. And I found it was very easy for me to do well in these kind of subjects. So I kept doing them and was encouraged to do them. At the end of school, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do exactly, but I thought that helping people would be a good thing. So I thought 
being a doctor must be the best way to help people. Mm. So I chose a course biomedicine and was accepted into one of the top universities in Melbourne. I was really excited to move to Melbourne because I felt that I would be meeting a lot more like-minded people in a big city. Got through the bachelor degree. I guess entering this university, I found myself in a course that was actually with a, a, a lot of very ambitious people. It's kind of a pre-medicine course. So lots of these people were really driven that they wanted to be doctors. Of course, mm-hmm. there weren't enough places for all of us to get into the, the medical course at the end of the biomedicine. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of competitiveness and this didn't really suit me. I'm not a very competitive person. So it was a bit off-putting and I didn't really meet a lot of people that resonated with me in the course itself. Um, Yeah, I finished that degree and was encouraged to go into research and thought, yeah, I'll give it a try. Maybe it's a a good direction for me to take. Um, So I started working in a research laboratory under a professor doing a stem cell project. This kind of work While I found the theoretical side of the project very beautiful and interesting, I found that the reality is lab work is actually very repetitive and I found myself very frustrated with this day-to-day repetitiveness, often hitting a lot of brick walls, being on your own for really long amounts of time, being inside in a very sterile environment and really not having much contact with other people actually. And I, I sort of found myself coming back to this idea of, hey, didn't I do all this study so that I could be helping people? And Of course, while I know that eventually the research can have a huge impact and help many people, but in the day-to-day aspect, I I felt like I was just in an empty room working by myself. Mm. So I started getting very unhappy in this and, and eventually reached a point where I realized that I wasn't going to be able to finish the master's degree, actually. So I made... I think the biggest decision of my life and decided that I would I would quit. And I felt amazing once I'd made that decision <laughs> actually. Yeah. 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 And uh actually I do want Yorick to also tell us a little bit about himself, but before we get into that, I do want to ask you something Wendy, which is that when you decided to quit, so you said that when you were in the laboratory, even though you felt that the research itself in the long term would have a lot of good impact on people, the day-to-day was something which just you weren't okay with, you were miserable because you were just in an empty room doing research by yourself. So mm-hmm. uh, before getting into the the journey that you decided to take up, did mm-hmm. you did you consider going into a different kind of career path? So like sticking to medicine, but maybe mm-hmm. doing something else which would give you that interaction with other people? Yeah, like I think it's still something that's kind of in the back of my mind that, you know, I have 
like that's the good thing about university studies is it's something nobody can ever take away from you and maybe it is something that I'll come to in the future but equally I think at that point where I decided to quit I felt very tired with studying you know you study so hard in high school to get into these courses then you get in there and find that you have to keep working hard to keep up and actually I felt like whoa I need to take a breath and just reconsider everything actually like hang on, what if I wasn't really passionate about science all of this time? You know, I'd been studying it for three and a half years by then and I hadn't really had the space, the time to stop and and critically examine that in a way. And actually by making this decision to quit, it enabled me for the first time to think, okay, so what am I passionate about? And then I decided, well, I should go and find out what I am passionate about. It can be anything, actually. So I decided to start volunteering in a bunch of different projects around my city. I was doing all sorts of things from packing organic vegetables and and working in a garden through to uh, being a telephone counsellor on a crisis support hotline and Mm. many things and eventually I found my way to an amazing community restaurant in Melbourne that's called Lentil as Anything and I think this is a really big part of my story because this place really proved to me how many possibilities there are This restaurant runs on a pay-as-you-feel basis. So basically it runs on donations alone. So people come in, they can have a hot lunch, delicious vegetarian food, and at the end of that experience they're free to choose how much they want to contribute for that experience. So Mm. they can leave money if they're able to and they can decide what price they'd like or else if they don't have money they can put on an apron and volunteer in the restaurant (laughs) and this was such a powerful project for me this idea and I really loved being involved in this project it made so much sense to me and I saw so many beautiful things happen in a place where money was taken out of the agenda and it's amazing how many barriers people are able to drop. It was a place where you could see a businessman and a homeless person sitting down at the same table and and having a chat over their plate of food. Yeah, that sounds like a really amazing place, really amazing place. So, Yorick, we haven't heard from you. What about you? What's your story? Um, so I think my story is similar but different. It's similar in this aspect that, well, I also grew up in a town, like it wasn't countryside at all, but uh, it wasn't a big city. And, um, well, I was also good in school, maybe not top of my class, but 
I come from a and a bit more pop, uh, densely populated country, so <laughs> I had bigger competition. Um, and then I went to a quite prestigious high school, I guess, and I had to choose my future career path. And the difference, I think, comes in place here because, um, well, in Poland the economy is not so good, and we are more pressured to find more highly paid job because you can't go really far in your life with the average salary even if you're lucky enough to get it so i chose to study robotics because it was quite um you know it's a profession of the, of the future and it's very interesting with the artificial intelligence and whatnot but during studies maybe halfway through i realized it's great it's very interesting but do i want to spend all my life doing it and i started traveling to more eastern europe where you know to the ex-soviet union or turkey to countries which are really exotic for me even though they're not so far away and i got more interested in languages and religions and history and cultures and things like that and i thought well if i want to do something really big with robotics like find a really interesting job and develop new technologies and things like that i would have to give up all other passions because it's just so complicated you really need to focus on your life on it and i i started asking myself the question am i able to do it so after the university i decided to go for an internship somewhere far away to kind of connect my passion for traveling and discovering new cultures with my profession to and maybe subconsciously to kind of ease the pain of leaving the academic life or university life and starting a job. So I quite randomly picked Malaysia, a country I knew almost nothing about. And well, I worked in a company that was doing things quite related to my studies. And I found myself really unhappy. I just couldn't bear the situation when I did not even have time to discover this amazing country because I had to be in the office all the time and do repetitive things that weren't much of a challenge to me. So I quit this job. I completely, by accident, got immediately another job which was guiding Russian tourists in Malaysia because I happen to speak Russian as well. And then I found myself very happy. <laughs> So when the tourist season ended, I went to Poland and I was still trying to find a job in my profession. But I realized that to find an interesting job in robotics, well, there's not so many of them and it's really advanced. I'd either have to start PhD studies or find some very badly probably paid job at my university and I knew I just wouldn't be able to bear it but I was still trying to find an interesting job. The problem is there's so many graduates of this thing that it's really hard to find something good. So eventually I discovered that I can go to Australia 
And I went there also uh, because I had heard that it's much better to work in Australia because of the working culture, because work and life balance is an important thing there. And I thought, uh uh-huh, maybe I'll be finally able to work and do other things that interest me. And I was also hoping maybe after a year or two, I could somehow connect my profession to my passions, but I found myself much, much less passionate about my profession. So nevertheless, I went to Australia to, to try and do it. And then I met Wendy. So (laughs) you both met in Lentil as anything, right? Yes. Yes. So at that time, so can you tell us what you were doing in Lentil as anything, both of you? So by this time, opportunities had opened up for me in the restaurant and organization. And I was actually able to become one of the managers there and get involved in volunteer coordination. And this was actually perfect. It was kind of my dream job and I was absolutely loving it every day was bringing me in contact with people and also having a lot of challenges that that brings you know it was pushing me it was helping me develop so much but in ways that I absolutely loved I think one of the most important things that lentils proved to me personally was that I didn't need to be a highly qualified expert to start helping people. I was seeing that by bringing somebody a hot coffee with a smile on my face and asking them how they are, having a little chat, I was seeing directly the impact of how such a small act could really make a difference to somebody's day. And this was incredibly powerful for me to realize and got me questioning, like, hang on, maybe this whole difficult studies that I was making before, maybe I don't need to be learning all this incredibly complex stuff to start making the world a better place. But coming back to what was going on for me before we embarked on this journey, So lentils was kind of my perfect job. I was loving it, but I still had this question of, hmm, what more can I discover, actually? You know, I quit my academic pathway. I'd also moved out of a house that I was living in with a lot of really good friends and I felt like hmm, the next big step I could take to kind of help me learn more about myself would be to actually leave Melbourne, the city that I'm feeling so at home and so comfortable in. So I gave my resignation to Lentil as Anything and, and I was planning to head up the east coast of Australia and explore kind of similar ideas. I was thinking I was going to explore permaculture farms and how the growing of food could be powerful in bringing people together and forming communities. I see. 
that was my thinking. And then two weeks before I was planning to leave Melbourne was when I met Jurek and I realized that I had to invite him along as well. <laughs> this is yeah, I was, I was at Lenzius every day. Partly it was because as a person from, let's, get, let's call it an averagely wealthy country, going to one of the most expensive countries in the world, which is Australia, and looking for a job for a few months, well, I started running out low on money, so it was a great place where I could get proper food instead of eating the cheapest processed food from the supermarket. But yes, it was an important reason. But another thing was that meanwhile, while traveling and looking for all these jobs and thinking what I should do in my life, I came across some, well, let's call it spiritual development, although it sounds a bit serious and it doesn't have to be. And that's kind of what our blog is about, amongst other things. So, well, I did a meditation course and in Melbourne I met an amazing group engaging in acro yoga. Well, it's a kind of, it's not really yoga, but it's hard to describe anyway. It's an activity which you do in pairs with people and with people which you often don't know. And it's kind of acrobatics. So you really have to develop trust to these people and trust to yourself. And it's funny because I was never really interested in stuff like that. I was the only sports I liked was cycling, sailing and skiing and maybe something else that starts with S, but definitely not that correct. <laughs> and, um, I met these people completely by accident, but I felt this amazing feeling of community. And these people were also hanging out at Lentils. So somehow that made me think again and, and really doubt this whole career idea because more and more I was realizing that we have one life and we have to use this life on being happy, developing ourselves and not clinging to something that we decided to do when we were 18. No, absolutely, guys. I mean, this is an amazing story. And I think I really, really like what both of you are saying, which is it's, it's not just about not being happy with what you were doing, but it seems that the question which was really pressing on you is, is this really it or what can I discover more? What else is out there? And you were curious, mm -hmm. so you wanted to explore and you wanted to go on a path of self-discovery. Yeah. I absolutely agree. And I think that we met in a really right moment, which both for, us, for both of us was quite a break point that, breaking point that we didn't even recognize but mm. somehow we knew what to do. And I think when we met, it was uh, love in the first sight <laughs> of all the, maybe, I don't know, maybe we didn't even realize it straight away, but something was telling us that we should travel together. And so we did. <laughs> no, and I think the, the question that you're bringing over here in this conversation, which is that, okay, you're not happy with what you're doing and you're miserable. I think that's a feeling which 
many people today would agree with and would uh, say that, yes, I sort of understand what you're saying. Definitely when I look at my own friends amongst them, I feel that almost everybody is asking these questions and actually it's quite rare to find a friend who's really pursuing a career that's directly related to their studies. Most people are kind of searching and, and doing something that's that's maybe not so obvious. Yeah, exactly. So my question is that what do you think gave you both the courage to leave the so-called safe path? Well, realizing that it's not as safe as it's supposed to be, I guess, for me. I was always kind of asking myself this question, is what is expected from us really going to make us happy and really going to make us make other people happy? For me, the most important thing we probably all try to achieve in life is to make ourselves and people around us happy. I think that's quite universal and I think, I guess most of us has it as an, even if subconscious, um, ultimate aim of life. And all these expectations that you should do this and then that and then choose your career and then we have this kind of recipe for life. But are we happy? If you look in the society, are most people happy with this, with these choices? Or maybe they would be happier if they actually stepped out of this path and chose for their own. They don't have to go really far from it. You can still find a job, get married, have children, <laughs> retire. And, you know, I'm not saying it's a wrong plan. I'm talking about the details. I was always very following my decisions from the past and sticking to them. But when I, <laughs> when I met Wendy, I decided for maybe for the first time in my life to quit. I decided to do, to look back into my past decisions and rethink them and drop the pressure that I had from my family maybe, which wasn't a huge pressure, but there was still some to pursue my career in my profession and things like that. And just, I knew that my safe path is not the path I, I was pursuing at the moment. And I knew that I have to get a bit unsafe for some time to find my safe path. For me, I'm thinking that Maybe at some point along the way, I kind of realized that the safe path for me isn't really living. I think that life is kind of about taking the unsafe path at times, not only because you give yourself the chance that you might be happy, but also that we don't even know what we might discover I'm imagining that if I had finished my master's degree, I can kind of see, as you yeah, this wording, the safe path, I can imagine what next steps could have happened very easily if I'd allowed them to. It's kind of you can be on this conveyor belt and let your life kind of happen to you or 
you can decide to step off it and then see what's going to happen next. <laughs> no, this is really, really good. And when you guys decided to leave, did you have something like a backup plan? Like, did you ever think about that? Hey, if, if you go on this long journey and you come back and, and then what? Well, I think that in many cases, not always, but in many cases, it's not about making a plan B. It's about making a good plan A and let it be changed, you know? This is what drop detention is about. Like, drop detention was actually um, a joke. It was something from a Bollywood movie that we watched with our Melbourne community of people from Lentils and Acroyoga and um, because a lot of things in this serious word spiritual development is it's just about letting it go you know you're angry at someone because he or she did something bad to you and sometimes we keep so fixated in this anger or frustration or something that not only we unnecessarily make other people unhappy, but first of all, we make ourselves unhappy. And it's not only about having a plan B, it's about about having a flexible plan A, about knowing that if the plan A doesn't work out, it's okay because I still learned so much approaching this plan A and we need to allow things to happen. We can't plan all our life. Mm. We can only choose a path and if this path is blocked, well, we cross so much of this path and we will never lose what happened. We will never lose what we learned. We can cross to another path. You know, we need to remember that there's other paths as well and yeah, we can always adjust our roots. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's about trusting ourselves in some way, you know, listening to this instinct. Okay, so for me it was I'm feeling perpetually unhappy, a little bit unhappy all the time doing this course, going to this laboratory every day. I feel it's getting me down. It doesn't feel... I'm forcing myself to go. And then the fact that as soon as I made this decision to quit, I felt this weight lifted. And then I understood that this was the right thing for me to do. And, okay, maybe I didn't have a backup plan, but I knew that I didn't want to go back to that. I didn't. I didn't doubt the decision that I had made, if you understand what I'm saying. No, no, absolutely. I think, no, and the reason, partly the reason I'm asking these questions is is because for someone who is maybe going through that thought process of, you know, I'm not happy at work now, what do I do? I want to quit. Mm -hmm. These are the things that bother you that, oh my God, if I quit, then what's going to happen? Like, how will I, how will I pay for rent? And what will mm-hmm. my friends and family say, right? So these are the kind of questions. And although, you know, I just wanted to mention one thing. When Yurek was talking about how you guys came up with the name and you were watching this Bollywood movie, I was looking at your website and it seems that you do have a lot of Indian friends because you have some stuff even in Hindi, which is the Indian <laughs> national language on the website. So I thought, like, can you guys speak Hindi? 
<laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was just we were playing with with yeah. the concept of kind of uh, packaging. There is a lot of really great local design around the world and things translated to many different languages. We knew that we would travel around, so we wanted our banner to say things in different languages. Ah, okay. And so we asked some of our friends from different countries to write something in their languages. There's also typos on our banner because often these packagings and things have typos, but it's not about a perfect thing. It's about getting the message through and making it look spontaneous and colorful and and I think it kind of is also follows the, the idea of drop detention and since drop detention itself came from a Bollywood movie Hindi had to be the yeah, first language yeah. no, <laughs> so yeah so coming back to then you know when you decided to get on this long journey at that point so it seems to me that you were fairly clear in your minds why you were doing this and you felt that this was important but did you what did your friends and family say what what was that conversation like i would love to know what was that conversation when maybe you told someone close to you like like your parents or your siblings or a close friend that hey you know i'm going now for these 14 months mm Well, also, we didn't know how long it would be that we were going to be away. And here I am, I'm still in, in Poland, far away from my family. And I think they're still wondering when they're going to see yeah. me next time. Oh, yeah. um, I think I'm really lucky. My family's really supportive. Um, I'm really lucky that both of my parents actually traveled and had a, had a lot of adventures in their 20s and came to their tertiary studies and careers later in their life. So I think they trust me and they understand it because they did something similar. Friends, I think it's it's kind of the same story. Like I, I look at my friends and lots of people are no longer in Melbourne. You know, they're overseas or living living in different areas in Australia or Or they are in Melbourne, but they're also taking their own risks and trying different ways that they can live. So I'm really lucky in that aspect. Mm -hmm. I think for me, my parents were always trusting me since I was very little. They were always telling me, we don't worry, you'll make it. And that was amazing because they gave me this trust in myself. And this is one of the things that let me step off the safe path. And the thing is that I was already, I had already been off the safe path for some time because I went without any money to, to Norway to earn some money for Australia. I went there alone with just a hundred euros and a backpack. Things like that. So it was nothing new for them, I guess. Um, okay. As it comes to friends, I think all of them were really encouraging and saying, wow, that's great you're doing it. Nobody said anything negative because we are not doing anything negative. We're, you know, we're not saying to anyone that, oh, you have a career Oh, that's silly, you're mm -hmm. bad. No, we're saying if you feel unhappy, look at us, you can change it and you can 
pursue your passions and you can become happy. But if you already are happy, well, that's awesome. Like, we're on the same path, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, you know who your real friends are because, of course, your friends want the best for you and they hear that it's the best for us to be doing these, to be exploring these things right now. And we feel the same. I guess, like, in some of our hitchhiking experiences, you know, sometimes we're getting in the car with people who would be kind of questioning, like, oh, but why are you doing this and what do your family think and Mm -hmm. how about your careers and when are you going to get jobs? Sometimes you meet people like this, but... I don't know. I think as Eric's kind of touched on, people who are kind of making these judgment calls on your life, it's usually because they're a little bit unhappy with the way their life is turning out or the decisions they've made. So I don't know. We usually try to tell our story in a positive way and encourage them that it's never too late to make a change and yeah. and do what they feel they need to do to be happy. No, that, that's great. And so, yeah, so tell me a little bit about what gave you guys the idea to go from Australia to Poland just by land and water. Yeah, well, I think that travel is, first of all, education. And I always say that a year traveling is teaches you much more than, than a year at the, at the university. And traveling by land, it's, well, there is this some kind of theory maybe um, and also from my experience when I didn't have money to travel far away so as I was discovering countries really close to mine which seemed very exotic even though the language is almost the same and the culture is very similar back then it was really exotic for me and like that step by step I started traveling every year further and further but always by land not teleporting myself by playing to a place completely different just seeing seeing the landscape on the way seeing how the historical buildings change how the people change the cultures religions and so my furthest land travel before going to australia was all the way to central asia iran even a few days in afghanistan and i imagine going to such place by plane would completely strip it of all its context. Mm. And it was the same with Australia. Going to Poland, I had this idea that I would much better understand what Australia is and what Europe is and see all these places on the way, see how the landscapes, cultures, people, languages, religions, civilizations, how it all changes and step by step, you know, from one into another. And this really teaches you so much about the world. Mm. We both really wanted to dig deep with this travel. I'd never really imagined myself as somebody who would actually spend a year of her life traveling because, I don't know, I'd taken short holiday trips before to other countries and I'd met people like that and I always thought, oh, my gosh, I'd be so lost. I I wouldn't – yes, travel is amazing, but what would be the point? So this time I think I wasn't approaching it as, okay, I want to go traveling and have this long extended holiday and see all the sights. 
I was approaching it as an education of, of the world. I wanted to learn from people. I didn't want to be just a tourist seeing what can often be just the surface level of what's going on there. I wanted to get to know the context of the places and also see ordinary life, visit just normal towns and villages that don't have some big attraction mm. for visitors to go and see. So this idea, this overland journey was really making sense for us. Yeah, and also if you go only to, to the most famous tourist spots, you just see this beautiful building. Yes, it can be very educative, but actually going to these villages on the way, to these towns, sometimes they appear to be much more interesting than this huge temple or mm. this Eiffel Tower or I don't know what. Mm -hmm. And that's from where you bring the most amazing memories. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. No, absolutely. And so that that's a great point, which is that for you, this this journey was as much about education as it was simply about sort of exploring new places. So mm -hmm. what did you do differently to make this a truly educational experience for you as opposed to just a vacation? I think starting the blog kind of tied into it. When we were in Australia, before we left Australia, we started kind of brainstorming what kind of things do we want to explore in a journey like this of course like it's going to be full of adventures and it's going to be interesting for people to watch from home but we didn't want it to simply just be our adventure we wanted to be meeting people along the way so we came up with this idea what if we call it exploring cultures of sharing this is still very broad, but for us was able to kind of give us a bit of focus with what we were searching for along I along see. the way. I see. So I don't know, cultures of sharing like really included a, a whole range of things. It could be making, getting in touch with a local grassroots organisation in a place where visiting. It could be getting in touch with local activists but it could also be visiting a meditation farm where volunteers can help out or it could simply be staying with a local family and seeing how their community works. Right. I think this is, this is the most important. Actually, the blog aside, the NGOs, I mean, it was very uh, deep and educative, but, um, you know, like the most important thing thing is to become a part of the place you're visiting, mm. to take off this cage that you wear being a tourist, because basically being a tourist, paying for things that um, like guiding and tickets and I don't know, maybe souvenirs and things like that, you actually separate yourself from the local people and from the place. And the most important thing is to to i'm not saying not to buy anything or not to pay for anything no um but what i mean is to make a local friend mm -hmm. to take a local bus to uh, <laughs> learn some words in the local language mm -hmm. and that is 
that completely changes your experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're, for example, couch surfing, uh, you're going to a city, even a different city in your own country, you will see it completely differently through an eyes of the person who is hosting you, yeah. through an eyes, through the eyes of a local, not through the eyes of TripAdvisor and five-star hotel, or even if it's a two-star hotel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think, but, you know, from based on what you and Wendy just said, I think there are two important things that are coming out, which which really are actually eye-opening for me. I mean, one is definitely you're like what you said, which is that instead of simply, you know, going and living in some nice place and not really interacting with the locals and then you just sort of superficially look at a bunch of things and come back, that will obviously not educate you as much as really immersing yourself in the local culture. But I think the really interesting point for me is that what Wendy said that how you started out before you even embarked on the journey, you established this like rough goal for yourself that we want to explore cultures of sharing and you started the blog. Do you think that helped sort of you figure out what to do? Because a lot of times like, you know, when you go to a new place, you're just sort of lost, right? So you might do some things, you might not do other things. It's just by chance, right? So the experiences that you partake in are just by chance. But over Mm -hmm. here, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you had an idea of the kind of things that you wanted to experience, the kind of things that you wanted to explore, as you said, cultures of sharing. And did that really help you mold or like get the best out of every place that you visited? For me, it might be a bit different between us because I had already traveled like this and um, writing these things on the blog and giving them names was just a way of calling what I usually do when I travel. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, But as we said before about plan A and plan B, the most important thing is make the plan A let you adjust the plan to the situation. And and that's the thing. I think this culture of sharing is just a name we gave to what we do. Yeah, that's definitely the case that we were, for me, I knew I was very clear that this travel I was about to make, I wanted it to be very different to what I'd done before. And I kind of knew that I wanted to be exploring and learning along the way. And starting the blog was more a thought of I perhaps it will be interesting for other people to to read about these experiences. Maybe I should share what I'm doing for my friends and family, but also maybe it can be useful or inspire other people or raise some interesting points or awareness of situations we come across on the way. Right. Kind of went like that. Okay. Okay. And then when you say um, cultures of sharing, so what does that mean? It's a very interesting question. I think what we're getting at here is, you know, through my experiences at Lentil is Anything and Eurek's experiences through like connecting with acro yoga communities and, and, and meditation traveling. and travel, we were both kind of realizing this point of, okay, like we kind of get told when we're young and that we need to 
get on this pathway of a career so that we'll have this secure income and that money will be able to buy us all these things that we get told that we need. And I think we wanted to kind of turn this idea on its head and we were both kind of realizing that through the connections we were making, the communities we were connecting with, hey, when people get together and share and are open to sharing, this money thing isn't so important anymore and that's really cool. And, you know, like so I was finding this was happening in my own city of Melbourne, but I was sure that it must be also happening in other places around the globe. So we set out to try to find those places and see how it looks different in different cultures. How does it work? Is there something, some knowledge that we can learn from a place that maybe we can implement, you know, maybe eventually when I go back to Melbourne I can implement something or here in Poland. That's what we were wow, looking see. for That's when we were saying cultures of sharing. Yeah, and for me, um, traveling, I saw that usually the less people have, the more they share. And the more they share, the happier they are. Mm-hmm. And actually, usually when my travels, the poorer the country I was visiting, the happier the people were there because they didn't have almost anything. And when you don't have anything, you also develop this empathy that other people might also not have much. And if you have, I don't know, five tons of potatoes, you just want to sell them and make money of them. But if you have two potatoes, you want to share these two pot- this, these potatoes with someone else. Mm. I don't know why I chose potatoes as an example, <laughs> by the way. But... Because you're Polish. <laughs> <laughs> but people who were poorer, they were really more eager to share and mm. you could see how happy it makes them. And of course, like you can't really generalize because some countries are too poor or have undergone worse and stuff and then people are not that happy but I think that people who share and I know it from my own example are generally much more fulfilled in life mm, yeah plus you know this money thing uh, when this mentioned it's so many people think that to travel for example they need to become richer they need to so many people say this to me you know oh i wish i could travel but you know i have to be working and save up a lot of money for this yes exactly and the thing is not to earn a lot of money the thing is to start spending less by the way one of the first articles i wrote for uh, our blog was 10 ways how to become less money dependent Mm. and I think this is one of the things that enables us to travel. And it's not, I know there are people, maybe you you haven't met them, but on our travel, we met people who travel for a few months with a hundred dollars and go from, I know, Europe to Mongolia and China and back traveling by land, hitchhiking. I don't know how they make money for food. We're not talking about something like that. But in general, 
you know, many people can't travel because they have a mortgage, for example, mm-hmm. and that or not even travel, but fulfill their dreams because they're kind of chained to their jobs. But the thing is to think, what do you really need? And if you want to buy something, uh, think twice. Do you need it or do you want to buy it to fulfill the need of buying something? Yeah. And that is the thing, to, to not limit your, don't limit your, your life by thinking that you have to fulfill all your needs, limit your needs, and then you will be happier. And that goes very well with sharing. And I don't mean only expect others to share with you, but also share with them. And, no, no, absolutely. Yeah. No, this, this, is, no, this really helps clarify. I, th- I think another thing that's important to say is perhaps me more than you, Rick, but really both of us are coming from this word, the culture, you know, Western civilization. Right. And we also kind of wanted to tip this idea on its head. You know, usually we we think about these more, you know, we don't like this word, developing countries, third world countries. We, I hate mm-hmm. this terminology. And it implies so much that, you know, our society is better and that we should be able to go there and teach something to the people of these countries, teach them how their lives can be better and more like ours. We also wanted to flip this idea on its head and really I was approaching going to these places. These people were my teachers. Mm -hmm. I was going there wanting to see how they were living and really with a very open mind believing that they might be doing something better than what we're doing back home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so so going off of this, so as, as you described mm-hmm. culture of sharing where you saw where you met so many people who were so willingly sharing what they had despite mm-hmm. having so little. So is that how you managed your accommodation also? Like I'm well, just curious how you did it. In largely yes, but well, since our blog's philosophy is dropped attention, some people would travel and only stay in hotels and other people would say oh, I'm going to hitchhike all my way and I'm going only to sleep for free and either couch surf or sleep on a bench in a park. And we, <laughs> when, when we were traveling, we were trying to spend as little as possible. But if we needed to rest, we would go to the nearest inexpensive hotel. And if we couldn't find interesting connection in some city, we would still go to a hotel. We wouldn't be spending all our energy to find some someone who can host us for free. But in general, we were trying to make as many connections in, as possible. And very often, naturally, especially in, in the countries with less materialistic culture, people would invite us home anyway. Mm. Yeah, it happened so many times that, you know, yeah, we didn't really know where we were going to sleep that night. We're expecting that we'll just find a guest house or something and we're catching a local bus or we're hitchhiking somewhere and the driver offers us to stay in their house that night. Mm-hmm. And I think that accommodation is a fear of many people who don't travel much or, or are just starting traveling. But, well, I've traveled quite a lot and I've never had a problem with having no place to stay. Mm. And you always find either some hotel or hostel or guest house 
or someone will invite you home unexpectedly, it always something good happens. Mm. It's uh, it's not yeah. such a big problem, not as a big problem as <laughs> many people think. Yeah, so, you know, I would love it if you guys could share some stories from your travels, especially things like how do you meet these new people? How, how does that happen? Like maybe yeah. describe that the first day you land in a new place. Just any example that comes, to, any story that comes to mind. Yeah, firstly, like if anybody is setting out on travels, I think they do need to join up and be aware of the amazing online communities of couch surfing and trust routes is another new one that I'd absolutely recommend everybody to join. Also be welcome. And be welcome is another. Okay. So through these websites, the hospitality exchange networks so you can choose to host so if you're unable to travel it can actually be really awesome to have travelers from all over the world bringing the travel to your home. yeah <laughs> traveling yeah. without leaving your own city and getting to go and do all the cool things or show the best sides of your own city to someone from a completely different place it's amazing and then obviously to be the traveler and landing in a new place we already have touched on you know how incredible it is to know a local and have them show you around and mm. and the the depth of understanding you can gain really quickly in this way and often people when when you travel from place to place people would just put you in touch with someone else mm. um I think we have a really good example when we landed, we were in Indonesia and um, we were looking for a couch surfer on the island of Flores, which is still quite remote. It's There's a few, there's a volcano and it's the Komodo dragons are on one end of the island. So some tourists are coming, but still there's like many places that really don't have many international visitors coming so we had miraculously found a couch surfer who was on the most who was in the most eastern town on the island so we wrote her and she wrote back we were going to be her first guests and it was incredible so we got we were on the local ferry which of course I don't know what how they plan their schedules but it arrived in her town at 3 a.m. and she came on the dock to wow. meet us and yeah. take us back to her house at 3 a.m. And her whole family was up and they were offering oh, wow. us food and tea in the middle of the <laughs> night. Oh, it was wow. amazing. We That's ended incredible. up staying a week with her there and, and traveling with her to some nearby islands. It was also Easter time and they were Catholics there, so it was a big celebration for them. It was really beautiful, and at the end of this time, she said, you know what, my cousin lives in the next town that you're going to. I'll give her a call, and maybe she can host you. And sure enough, she was excited. The cousin was excited to host us. The cousin had studied English language, so she really wanted to practice her English uh -huh. with us. Yeah. She'd never met a native speaker of English before, and again, another amazing family, and yeah, yeah, it it, it was, was quite often going like this for us on that island of Flores. I think we spent two weeks crossing it, and and we stayed with locals every step of the way. And it was 
just through making it all kind of came back to this first couch surfer Rita somehow, yeah. a friend of her friend or some university connection. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Or in Mongolia when we were traveling and from one town to another and the people who whom we met in the first town put us in touch with someone in the second town, but then that person eventually didn't make it, but she's put us on a car with uh, friends of hers and those friends were just going past that city but they're also visiting someone there for dinner and this family who was family of five living in a one-bedroom apartment mm. has oh, wow. spontaneously decided to host us and they gave us the only bed in the apartment we felt really wow. ashamed such gestures of hospitality were everywhere and yeah. it was really interesting like going from Australia where I think largely there's still people like to distance themselves from each other and and we're kind of thinking tell scary stories yeah maybe it's connected with you know this instinct of oh I have to protect what I have and I have quite you know Australian people are wealthy as compared to other places and maybe it's this that makes them hold back but all the ones we were hosted also in Australia in the outback by someone we met on a gas station. So that's true. We bad. were quite stranded <laughs> and some locals took us in. So it can happen anywhere. And I guess that's also what the project's about, like that there are all sorts of people everywhere. Like it's not to say that, you know, everyone in Mongolia is gonna be your guardian angel and take you in for the night of course not but like it's possible to find those people everywhere or they'll find yours or they'll find you also that the blog was kind of connecting um thing for us because we wanted to use the blog also as a platform to connect with activists and ngos and to connect these activists and ngos with each other so we were in eastern indonesia for example we got to meet some farmers groups, very interesting students organization. They had put us in touch with another university where we had the pleasure to give some lectures to students of English language studies. So we met some people who put us in touch with an amazing farmers group in a village deep in the mountains where there's uh, no electricity, nobody has a TV and people live together and they, it was an incredible experience. They, mm. they were all the time saying that they are the poorest people in the world, but they are happy still because they have each other. So they play their traditional music, they grow rice and after work, they meet in on the main square of the village and play volleyball and chess. Yeah. And um, some of the biggest dreams of these people are that once they will become wealthy enough that they will have uh, electricity and they will pave their, um, you can't even call it a road, so you won't be bringing kind so much the, mud the, to the house. And yeah, the parts oh, wow. around the village. Yeah. They're so, they're, they're, biggest dreams are so humble you yeah. know yeah it's really amazing this so is, yeah wow i mean I, i'm just wondering that when you come back from 
experiences like these right which are so rich and mm-hmm. i'm sure each and every one of them would have impacted you so much on so many different levels right mm-hmm. including emotionally so when you come back and this was a 14 months long journey right not like a week long mm-hmm. thing so yeah <laughs> when you come back from something like this like how do you feel like how do you think this has changed you yeah well one thing that is important to know is that coming back from such a travel is not easy at all mm. it's actually the hardest part of the whole travel i think uh many people ask questions like oh how was it <laughs> <laughs> and or what was your favorite country this is my most hated question <laughs> every country was amazing in in its own way and there were also like thanks to traveling overland you understood so much that is not really possible to describe even if you're a really good writer um and we are not it's it's so much to to process and yeah yeah i think the blog is really helpful for this actually because i think many people find that when you actually start trying to put words down to describe an experience it really helps you like realize how much you did learn or Although we still haven't really published our posts on the most important things we experienced because they are really hard to describe. To put into words. Uh, you really mm. it's and we've been actually trying to write them for weeks and and it's still not satisfying for us because you have all these amazing experiences and you're not able to share them with others so it takes a few months to really come down on, at the same time it. i think like we are able to share it with people in that there are some overarching essences that you get yeah, left with from a journey like this and i definitely you know maybe i had hints of these ideas when i was in melbourne but the this travel has absolutely confirmed them things like being able to trust people other people really putting your trust into them and i think i don't know you know i can use the example of hitchhiking for me you know in australia we get told it's incredibly dangerous and that you know you definitely shouldn't do it especially as a a woman but you know actually standing on the side of the road with your thumb out is the most liberating feeling like for me it's i'm putting my absolute trust into the passing cars and i'm leaving myself completely open for whatever fate decides is going to come for me in in a really good way and of course like it's the best people that s- stop their car and let you in to their their life for a little while and maybe they take you half for 20 minutes maybe they take you for two days <laughs> for two days along their way you never know what you're going to get you never know what they're going to tell you and what their life experience is going to be but mm-hmm. it proved to me very much that the majority of people are good and that they will take care of you if if they can if they mm-hmm. want to if you give them the opportunity to interact with you so i think this thing of of trusting 
that others will be good is is a really big thing, especially arriving to Europe at the moment has been quite hard because, you know, we've just completed this journey where we were absolutely ravishing in the joys of other cultures and multiculturalism and we're arriving to Europe but in a climate where that isn't what the majority of people seem to be embracing and and the media every day is telling us we need to be scared of other people. But I think through our experiences on this journey, we've proved to ourselves that it's not actually looking like this. So Mm -hmm. if you were to think about yourselves before you started this journey and now, is there a difference in... um, the way you look at life, either personally or professionally? Yes, I think there is. For me, one of the things that like, I was always kind of feeling and suspecting, but now doing this really long travel across such vast distances and, and cultures, and my main conclusion is that culture is culture of having your language, having your customs, having your religion and all these things, food, is not as important as we seem to think. And the culture is just like the outermost layer of our humanity. And we are all really the same. And in every community, there will be very good people and there will be bad people. And... It really, we all have the same dreams and we all have the same problems. And the culture maybe changes our behaviors a little bit, but it's still every, each of us is as human as any other person. Mm, and it was amazing to make a journey like this in that we could, we were really watching how people's Faces, for instance, were changing. You know, if we think of how people looked in Eastern Indonesia and then step by step, then we were in China and then Russia meeting the the native people of some of these areas of Siberia and then eventually to Europe. And wow, it's a whole spectrum of how people can look and, and they're all living their lives in, yeah, having these intricate cultures and ways that they do things achieve the same things but in different by different means and so you can arrive somewhere and feel I feel in such a foreign place and this is so different to what I know but there's not so much difference between yourself and these people you are people at the end of the day and and we only pay attention to differences yeah (laughs) this is what we're thinking that that there's huge sameness that gets ignored. Yes. Mm-hmm. You asked also about how are we different when it comes to our things connected to our professional life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think this is also something really important because for me, for instance, coming back, I was even more believing that I can achieve what... I feel I need to achieve and quite accidentally I gave a chance to find a completely different job and you know in Poland 
It's really hard to find a job that is decently paid. And I don't mean well paid, but that you can survive till the end of the month eating healthy food and maybe even save something. Usually you need to work in a corporation 40 or 50 hours per week and do some stuff that's not necessarily making you happy. But I found a job as a teacher of Polish for foreigners, or actually organized it for myself because I just work as a private tutor. And not only I'm, I'm earning decent money, I mention it only because normally it's very hard to do it in Poland, doing what you like. But also, I really love this job because I've always loved sharing my knowledge with other people and I love languages and I every day learn something new about my own language and mm. I'm having so much fun doing this. Yeah. And for Wendy, she started volunteering in another great organization and our blog is making us um, eager to, to develop our writing skills, something that both of us, I think, always had somewhere in the backs of our minds mm-hmm. and things like that. I think it's it has also empowered us very much. Yeah, I think professionally, like, yeah, arriving here and for me, I'm still, I'm not at home. Like, this is my first time in Poland and certainly my first time really living and working overseas. But after this journey, again, I'm trusting myself. You know, I'm actually working in a kindergarten here, which It's a really nice experience. I always kind of thought perhaps education is something I want to explore and it's quite funny that somehow like it happens that here I am and I am kind of getting to have that experience and feel myself in this role of being a teacher. Do I like it? As well as still having time to pursue volunteering about issues that I'm really passionate about. You know, after such a journey, we faced many challenges along the way. And arriving here, of course, is like a very different set of challenges as well. But we feel we know how to face them. We feel we trust it's going to be okay. And we'll make our way through in whatever's the end of the ahead. Day, these challenges appeared to be much less challenging than you had <laughs> thought before. And without challenging yourself, you don't develop and you don't become happier and better to the contrary if you don't challenge yourself and you don't leave the safe path the safe path let's say it or safety net the comfort zone yeah then yeah you don't challenge yourself and you you don't put your life on the path you really need and the, the biggest thing is to find what you need what you love and start step-by-step developing yourself in this way. And Mm. it doesn't have to be radical. It doesn't have to be quitting your job and... Living without money or something like this. Traveling around the world. And, you know, you can do it step-by-step, but do it. Leave your comfort zone. Challenge yourself. These challenges are really not as as scary as they seem. Yeah. Oh my God, guys, this is, this is amazing. I feel like you guys should hold some sort of like motivational classes somewhere. But uh, this is great. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is that now that you're back, 
not only are you doing things which you enjoy a lot more like teaching languages for yurik and teaching students for wendy and then of course working on your blog drop the tension but more than that it's just that this feeling that you can do anything that you can take on challenges like you just feel so much more ready to explore these other things which you probably weren't so comfortable with before you started out this uh, absolutely yeah. sonali and realizing how many possibilities we all have really and when i was doing my masters course when i was studying on this biomedicine i didn't believe you know that it was that i could live all these ex- exciting things and that i could explore these ideas but now i've really proved to myself why not if i if some idea some activity seems cool to me or or seems i don't know even strange something new like i can just try it and see where it goes and it doesn't mean i have to continue it but just to give it a try and i think yeah i i feel i have room in my life for these possibilities now and this is so exciting and this brings me a lot of happiness peace of mind that i have the freedom to explore what i want to explore no definitely so you know i'm sure there are people listening to this and there are i'm sure many of them who are right now not particularly happy at work so what would be your advice to them don't be afraid uh-huh. i think making a really big quit in your life is an absolutely amazing thing to do and i recommend it to everyone so <laughs> you however, know as big or small as it needs to be yeah however scary it might seem to quit a job that makes you unhappy or quit a relationship that makes you unhappy or really a situation that constrains you however scary or bad it might seem it will be probably the best thing you'll do in your life just don't worry about it too much and remember you don't have to become radical and make this huge change you can do it step by step and you can get interested in different things step by step one of the first first thing every one of us should do in our life is throw away your tv <laughs> I I like that advice a lot. Yeah. And that's that's the first step. You know, take it step by step. You don't have to make this huge change. Oh, Yurek said something really nice to me recently that we're not cats. We don't have nine lives. We probably just have one. So make sure you you, ma- you make it the one you want to be living. Yeah. Exactly. You know, we we love to read stories about exciting things other people are doing, but don't wait to do the things that you'd love to be doing. That's great. I think that's we couldn't have ended the podcast on a better note. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> this was really really amazing. I mean, I truly honestly hope that this if this helps even one person think a little bit about what they're doing and you know maybe try out some new things. That would be great. But thanks Thank a lot you. for your time. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us Sonali. Yes, absolutely. Pleasure talking. Yes, same here. Thanks a lot guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
All right. So that was Wendy and Yorick. And I really hope that you found today's discussion helpful, especially for any of you who has ever harbored any dreams of going out there and exploring new things. And even for those who might be feeling somewhat trapped in whatever situation they might be in right now and have always wanted to go out and try new things. So I hope this discussion was helpful. And of course, if you have any questions at all for Wendy or for Yorick or for me, you can email us at learneducatediscover at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Our Facebook page is at facebook.com forward slash learneducatediscover. And if you like the page, you'll start getting updates on all the great content that we are putting together for you guys right there in your Facebook newsfeed. Of course, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, find it helpful, you can subscribe to the show. You can find us on iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher. We're available on all three. Simply search for Learn, Educate, Discover and then you'll find us and then you can hit subscribe. Of course, you can also tweet at us. Our Twitter handle is at LED underscore curator. And if you're still curious about Drop the Tension, you can check out their website at dropthetension.com or find them on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash drop the tension. So that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. And until the next one, adios.